Thank you for listening to WNLA's Sermon of the Week. Visit our website at wnla.church for ways to partner with us and to connect with our ministries. Here is this week's sermon. Are you filled with hope today? <laughs> Are you filled with hope? Listen, you, you, uh, you spend time in the presence of the Lord, you spend time in the Word. Do you get, guess what, what needs to come out? Hope. Faith. Faith develops a hope because Jesus is on the throne. Amen? Amen. We're going to stir up some hope in us today, one way or the other. So, Father, we come before your word. We confess that, that our, our, our view is limited without you, Jesus. So, Father, we look into your word. We look into your spirit. Father, you call things that are not as though they are. Father, you see the truth, Lord, and you rejoice and have hope for those you love. Father, and those who have called upon you, we are cleansed. We are, we are uh, bought with the blood of Jesus. So we pray into that, and in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And in that light, I, I, I've invited you here today to partake in a great scandal. If you watched my little schniblet on Facebook this week, uh, it, this scandal is bigger than Watergate, for those of you who remember that. Lewinsky Gate, or any of the gates that we have. Uh, I want to talk about a scandal. And to do that, we need to look into the Word of God. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Bible was written in Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, primarily Hebrew and Greek, right? New Testament, Greek. So there's a richness in, in studying the words that were specifically chosen in the Spirit. And, and one of my favorite Greek words that we are going to look at today is scandalon. You just say that. Scandalon. It, it's where we literally get the word scandal, right? When we talk about all these scandals going on in the world, it's such a scandal. Well, we get it. That word directly comes from the Greek word scandalon. And the literal translation, the literal meaning, definition of the word scandalon, and we'll look at it in scripture, is the movable stick or trigger of a trap. Just like that. That phone's a trap. Scandalon. Someone's got their phone on in the middle of church. All right. I'm kidding. All right. It's a trap or a snare or any impediment placed in the way and causing one to stumble or fall, like a tripwire. Like you, if you have a mouse trap or if a much simpler trap looks something like this, right? The scandalon is that tripwire or that, that stick. When the animal hits it, boom, trapped, right? The mouse trap, the scandalon is the trigger where you put the cheese on. So when the mouse goes, bites it, boom, trap, gone. Scandalon, and it's used in Scripture. It's translated in several ways. When we, when we translate it into English, into one word, it's often translated as offense, stumbling block, or temptation. Offense, stumbling block, or temptation. And I want to look at a couple, couple of Scriptures that it's used in um, just to kind of get us, get us a little more in-depth understanding of this. Um, and this is, this is one, it's not my main point today, but, but it does help us understand what the word scandalon means. It's found in Luke 17, verses 1 through 4. 
It says this, he said to his disciples, he being Jesus, Jesus is talking here, offenses will certainly come. The word offenses there, what I highlighted in red, that's the word scandalon. Scandalon will certainly come. But woe to the one they come through. It would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. All right, scandal on. And I know what you're thinking now. Uh Uh-oh, here he goes. It's gonna be one of those offense sermons again. I gotta drop my offenses. And as much as I'd like to go there, I don't believe that's, that's the highlight of today. Although, since we're on the subject, would we stop being so offended by everything? It really is. Offense is a trap. It's a scandal on. It is a scandal to be caught in an offense. Um, <laughs> we do this so, so, so often we forget we're even doing it. Right? Well, you had a pizza and the cheese was sourced from Canada. And we all know that Canada is famous for maple syrup, which kills trees. I'm offended. And while we're on the subject, you said Canadian bacon and pineapple, and that's offensive to my Canadian brothers in the north. My former friend, this cannot be. This is a silly example, but we do this a lot. Oh, I'm offended. Scandal. We need to let go of these offenses. If our brother apologizes to us 70 times in a day, we say we forgive you, the the scandal. As I said, the NIV, excuse me, the the Bible translates scandal on several ways. Uh, And in this instance where he says says to his disciples, offenses will certainly come, the NIV phrases it like this, temptations to sin will certainly come. King James says offenses will come. Uh, Tree of Life uh, version uh, says stumbling blocks will come. Those are all fair and good translations of the word. Um, But here's the key instance. So so that was our example. I want to get into the key instance that I believe we want to look at today. Something that I think the Lord wants to highlight for us. And we're going to start in Matthew 16, 23. Another example of this word scandal on being used. And you're probably familiar with this passage, and I want to set it up for you a little bit. Um, Peter, this is where uh, Jesus uh, tells his disciples that, hey guys, listen, here's the plan. Here's the thing. I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to raise again. And Peter says, whoa, hold the phone here. Certainly not. I have plans for you, declares Peter. Plans to not have you killed, Jesus. Right? He says, certainly this shall not be, this, this, this won't happen. And so here's where we pick up, and Jesus res- res- responds to Peter. And he says this, Jesus told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but man's concerns. I'm going to say that again. Jesus says to Peter, Peter's like, no, you can't die. That's not, that's not how I have things planned. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That word means adversary. He's like, you're acting as an adversary to me because you are a scandal to me, is what he's saying. 
You are a scandal to me. Now, Peter, uh, the way, I, the way I've, I've read this, it's like I, I've always thought, you know, he just is speaking something stupid and Jesus is nailing right there. But Jesus, you have to understand something. That word scandalon, it literally means temptation. Temptation. You are a stumbling block. You are a temptation to me. You are a trap. This is an aside too. But, but we often get this picture of Jesus that he walked through life as a breeze. He never had any, any thoughts that were, he never struggled mentally or emotionally. At least the scripture says that Jesus Christ was tempted in every way. Your temptation. He was tempted in more ways than you ever will be. Every single way. The Bible says, in fact, I'll read that to you. It's, uh, it's in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he never sinned. And you've got to understand this, because if you have this view of Jesus that he never suffered any temptation, then, then, then when you face your temptation, oh, it's so hard. I can't handle oh, Jesus. You don't have any idea how hard it is. My temptation is so unique and so crazy, and I'm so harassed by it. You don't understand. And Jesus is like, I was tempted in that way too. But when you get a vision that Jesus was tempted in the same way you were, your unique temptation isn't unique. You have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who is able to sympathize with you. He walked through that temptation and yet never sinned. So here's the deal. If in my temptation, oh, nobody understands. I don't understand. Jesus wants to say, I, I did it. I, saw, I, I had that temptation too. I can walk with you through it so that you don't have to fall into it. He's a great, great high priest who is... Who has, who has walked beside you, he's walked the road before, and yet he, he resisted and never sinned, and he was at your side. So what was Peter's, Peter's thing here? Peter says, surely not, Lord. Now, here's my Lord of the Rings quote of the day. Here's how I say it. If you've ever, if you've ever uh, uh, watched the Lord of the Rings or read the book, we have this, this scene where Boromir is trying to get the ring from Frodo. And he says this to, 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 uh, to Frodo. He says, I know why you seek solitude. You suffer. I see it day by day. Are you sure you don't suffer needlessly? And here it is. There are other ways, Frodo. Other, other, plant, other roads we might go. Other paths we might take. Here's, here was the temptation that, that Peter had just thrown out. He said, Jesus, no, not, not that way. He said, there are other ways, Jesus, other paths we might take. Like my paths maybe where you don't have to die. Now, I guarantee you that this was a temptation for Jesus because we also later see Jesus Christ in the garden saying, Lord, if it's possible that this cup be taken from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. So yes, it was a temptation. So he's calling out Peter. He's like, you don't know what you're saying. You're actually tempting me when you say this. Stop it. Get behind me, Satan. You are a scandal to me right now. You are a scandal to me. Woo. So how does Peter get from the rock, right? Literally, five verses before, he gets this moment of amazingness with Jesus. And Jesus changes his name, he calls him out, and he goes, and literally five verses later, he gets called Satan. Let's look at this. If we rewind to Matthew 16, 13. He says, watch this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, 
who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And also I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. Woo! How would you love to have that moment where Jesus called you out like that? It's like, you're no longer John. You're the rock. And you're like, what? Here are the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind is bound. Whatever you loose is loose. Like, yes, that's amazing. Five verses later, you're the devil. Get behind me. You're a scandal to me. How does he get from there to there? From, from you're the rock, here's the keys, to you're the devil, get behind me, you're a scandal to me. Well, I, I would propose to us that Peter just simply failed his first rock test. Jesus specifically says, on this rock I will build my kingdom. And then he goes and he, he, goes and he says this, so Peter, you're the rock. On this church, I'm going to build my kingdom, right? Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Now, here's the plan for my kingdom. I'm going to have to die, and I'm going to have to rise again. And Peter's like, whoa, hold the phone, Jesus. The rock's got another word for you. Right? We go for He's like, you just, I'm the rock. Oh, do you smell what the rock is cooking right now? You remember how well I did on that last one where you asked who the Messiah was and I nailed it? Well, here I got some more opinions for you. And he's like, no, you can't die. And so Jesus is like, you're the devil right now and you're a scandal to me. What's the difference? Let's look at it. And number one, when, 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 G, when Peter excuse me, confesses that you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God, what does Jesus say? His response is, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven did. And so he got this huge blessing. He's like, you spoke right. You nailed it. Number two, when, when Peter's like, surely not. I, there are other paths we might take, Jesus. What's Jesus' response to him? Get behind me, Satan. Now follow closely here. You are an offense, a scandal to me, a scandal unto me, because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but man's. It's not your kingdom we're building, Peter. It's not your great ideas we're building, Peter. You got it right the first time because you didn't, you didn't get that answer from yourself. You got it from the spirit of the living God. He revealed it to you, and you just said, wow, you're the Messiah. And over here, he's like, he, now he's like, yes, I'm, I'm the rock. And, and Jesus is like, I got to die. And Peter's like, no, you don't. That's not my plan. He, re, he got that from himself. Here's the thing, and here, here is the scandal I want to reveal, the trap that I believe the enemy has been trying to get us into, and he has successfully done it in a lot of ways. I believe he's amping it up right now. The scandal on 
is simply compartmentalizing Jesus out of areas of our lives so that we rely on our brilliance and our wisdom. We're so smart. I'm the rock and I got some great ideas. And he's like, what are you talking about? You need to get into the spirit where you're, being, where you're relying not on your own understanding, but you get that revelation from God Almighty. Where we die to self, because literally he follows this up, this very same train of thought. After he says all, he says, you're an offense to me. You don't have the things of the, of the Lord in mind. He, then he says, if anyone doesn't take up their cross and follow me daily, you're not worthy of me. What does taking my cross mean? It means that all my brilliant ideas, oh, I'm so good at this. And you probably are really good at a lot of things. Please don't hear that I'm saying you're worthless. But your ideas need to go on the cross and be, be, be given to Jesus because he's got different ideas than you a lot of the time. Sometimes your ideas and his mesh perfectly, but there's a lot of times you may be the most expert, brilliant surgeon or whatever, brain surgeon, rocket scientist, and like, oh, I got this all figured out. And God's like, let's do it this way. But I went to training, I have a PhD in this. I'm the most brilliant financial person ever. God's like, why don't you try it this way instead? But, but I've compartmentalized him out because I've gotten, I'm so smart at this now. I haven't, sac- I haven't laid my, that area of my life down to him. And what, what, it, what, what was Peter learning here? He's like, number one, he's like, I just got, you're the Messiah. I got, and he didn't get that from himself. And over here, he's like, I have a better idea for the kingdom. There are other ways, Jesus. And what was Jesus trying to lay down so obvious to us? There are no other ways but his kingdom. There are no other ways but his ways. And we have to retrain ourselves. We've been so successful at secularizing areas of our life. I'm going to throw out a a college word for you that I believe summarizes what what we're facing here today. And it's this, this simple phrase, secular humanism. Secular humanism is a trap. What is, what is secular humanism? The, the word secular is, means devoid of God. We, we've created areas in our society and in, in our personal lives that we've decided Jesus shouldn't be a part of because that's offensive. Uh, and, and humanism is, I'm sufficient in and of myself. Humans can handle this all by ourselves. So what we've done is we're saying, we say there are areas in our life, and we, we've so bought hook, line, and sinker into this. We're like, certainly my political platform is going to solve the problems. That's secular humanism when it's devoid of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand, like we even, well, certainly medical science is going to solve the problem of COVID. No, it won't. And if it does, 10 seconds later, there'll be a brand new one. We haven't even figured out the common cold yet. You re- I mean, you realize how nonsense it is to think that we are self-sufficient as human beings to figure everything out and make beautiful plans for our lives. It's called secular humanism. It's devoid of God Almighty. And I'm telling you, he's the only one who can grant eternal life. We will never ascend as a species to somehow eradicate sickness and disease on planet Earth. Because apart from Christ Jesus, apart from the revelation of Jesus, you are still under the curse of sin, death, and the grave forever. And you can't think your way and brilliant your way and study your way out of it. I'm not saying we're not good at things and have expertise, but I'm saying we have allowed ourselves to be trained to take God out of areas of our lives. Well, not Christians. We don't do that. Surely the world has done that. We've removed God from the school, but I haven't. 
Well, listen. I want us to take a second here for argument's sake and just examine, are there areas of your life that you don't invite Jesus into? Well, well, we can't bring him into, we can't bring him into school or work because that would be offensive. Did you know that Jesus called himself scan, uh, a scandal as well? Scandalon? Romans 9.33, talking about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says this, as it is written, look, I am putting a stone in Zion to stumble over. What? Why would you do that? What's Jesus? He said, I'm putting a stone in Zion to stumble over, a rock to trip over. That word there in the, in the Greek is scandalon. Look, I lay a stone in Zion to trip over. A scandalon to trip over. And yet, the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. Jesus is a trap that we all have to face. Every man, woman, and child on planet Earth will face the scandalon of Jesus Christ. And if you refuse to allow him in, it is a trap that leads to death. But if you say, Jesus, I am insufficient on my own. I, am not I have insufficient funds on my debit card. You will never be put to shame. You become whole. You become, you walk into forgiveness. And if you are listening to this or you're here today and you have never actually said, I'm in Jesus, I need you, you're going to face that decision at some point anyway. The scandal on is going to fall and you're going to be trapped one way or the other. Yet if you believe on Jesus Christ and confess him and allow him to forgive your sins, you will have eternal life. You'll be transformed and forgiven. If you are in Jesus, folks, now I'm talking to you folks who have given your lives to Jesus. If you are in Christ, there is no such thing as secular anymore. And it doesn't matter how, how much the, 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 our culture or the world tells you you need to secularize this part of your life. I'm telling you, I, and I, you know, I send my kids to public school. I, 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 I value the, all the options, but I've chosen that. And I don't consider them going to a secular school. I consider the sacred children of mine who are blood-bought by Jesus walking in and bringing the kingdom into the school. So, so I, I'm not afraid of that. I, I know that when I walk into the grocery store, when I walk into whatever it is, the sacred has arrived. Not that I'm super special, but I sure have given my life to someone who is. And so now, now miracles and signs and wonders can accompany those that believe because the darkness, the trap, needs to be lifted so that others can come out from under the scandal. They've tripped over it. Are there areas in our lives we have decided to just, maybe, maybe you didn't even mentally do it, but we have so trained our brains that they're, that they're secular, I don't even think to bring Jesus and invite him with me on the journey. I sit down to pay my bills. Oh, here we go again. Cascading gas. They want my oh, fern your water, right? Trust me. What if you said, Jesus, wow, I invite you to pay these bills with me today. All of a sudden, this isn't, this isn't a secular moment. This is a sacred moment. And yeah, I'm still writing the check. I'm, still, I'm doing those things, but I've invited him into it. It's no longer a secular activity for me. It's a sacred thing. 
What if I went to the doctor because I was having issues and I said, Jesus, would you come with me to the doctor today? And, he's, and I, I believe you're right here with me. Yeah, but I can't, I can't say anything at work. Well, listen, why don't you, before you walk into your job, you say, Jesus, I invite you to walk into my workplace with me today. Would you just come with me? I need, I need to lean on you. Because when I get to this point, well, I got this down now. I've been paying my bills for six, six years. I got, this, I got plenty of money in the account. I don't need to ask anymore what Jesus has to say about it. I'm reminded of, uh, of in, in the book of uh, Joshua, they've gone in, they, they've uh, taken Jericho out, they've taken somewhere, and, and the, the Gibeonites come in, and they decide these guys are going to destroy us all. God had given them a very specific instruction, and that was to wipe them all out and get them all out of the land. So the Gibeonites, they were, they were terrified, so they came up with a brilliant idea. They got the oldest clothes they had, the most worn-out shoes they had. They got moldy bread, and they, they, they got their wineskins and made them all cracked and all this, and they, they, they walked up to the Israelites like they'd been traveling for days and days and days, and they're like, we've come from a long ways away. We've heard wonderful things about you and your God, and we want to make a treaty with you. We want to cut a covenant with you. And, and, the, and, and Joshua and the Israelites are like, wow, okay, well, it sure looks like you came from a long ways away, so that sounds like a good plan. And they cut covenant with these guys. Only to find out days later, oh, you actually live in the next town over, in the land we were supposed to subdue. Why? The Bible specifically says because... They didn't consult the Lord. They just said, that sounds like a really good idea. And as a result, the Gibeonites were a curse to the Israelites. They, they, were, they were a harassment to them for years. Later, Saul, he decides he's going to take King Saul. This is years. This is after all the book of Judges, everything. He's going to wipe out the Gibeonites once and for all. And he gets a curse on his family because they cut covenant with them. All I'm trying to say is... is we, if we start to think we're so good and we've got it all figured out that I don't need the input of my Lord and Savior anymore. I've got this parenting thing figured out. I've got my work figured out. I know who I'm going to vote for. I know all these things and I don't consult the Lord and say, Jesus, I need your input. Would you come with me today? Would you come with me as I fill out my ballot because I don't have the right wisdom here? And yes, I'm not trying to get us slaves to like, I can't make a decision now because the Lord hasn't spoken verbally and audibly to me. No, there comes a time you have to make a decision. And you're, if you are doing it humbly with the Lord, and you say, Lord, okay, I'm going to make this decision because I'm not real sure, but I invite, would you please come with me on this? You won't misstep because if you stray to the right or the left, you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Are the areas in your life you've decided are secular in nature. And so you don't even think to invite Jesus into it. Folks, we are insufficient in and of ourselves. Your most you could have the 39 PhDs in the most beautiful science, and that's great. Please, please do. But no matter how far you get, don't you dare allow your pride to say, I've got it figured out now. I'm the expert in the field. Okay, I want you all to be experts in your field. Whatever you're doing, be an expert in it. But lean not on your understanding. Be humble enough to say, Jesus, everyone's calling me an expert. I, and, and I've done all this training and I've followed you this far, but I still need you. I still need you. 
Are there areas in your life where you don't feel you need him? I just want to remind you that in Christ, all things are possible. In yourself, you'll get a little ways. <laughs> but in Christ, miracles, signs and wonders, mountains will move, things will, lives will change. But in you, I mean, the best, you, I mean, you can build something, but it's going to fall apart and be all burned one day. But in Christ, there is eternal glory. There is hope. There is life forevermore. And so I want us to practice faith. Because I believe, you know, and, and, and I'm just as guilty as anybody else. There are areas in my life I don't even think to consult the Lord. Well, I've done it this way for 40 years. And so it's become a habit to just reflex and do stuff. I want us to practice inviting Jesus into the areas of our life that we think have become secular because when we do, we will start to see things change. We will start to see the kingdom come. I'm inviting you into this scandalon called the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ. It is a scandal and it demands everything. It wants to be a part of everything. I want, I want us to invite Jesus into every habit. And so for the next 90 days, we're, I'm going to invite Stephanie to come up, worship team. We're going to conclude with some worship, but if the, whatever the Holy Spirit's highlighting to you, is there an area that, that you just haven't even considered bringing Jesus into? Because it's become habit, it's what we do, it's my, it is what it is. No. I want us to say, Jesus, I invite you into my work. Jesus, I invite you into my, into my relationship. Jesus, I invite you into my school. Jesus, I invite you into my entertainment. Jesus, I invite you into my choices. I don't want to lean on my understanding. So would you stand with us? Father, we take all things that we consider secular in our lives and we invite you into them. Father, forgive us for the areas of practical atheism we've walked out, where we confess you in all these areas, but not here because that might, that might be too far or that might be an offense. Father, we, let you, we invite your kingdom to come and your will be done in our hearts and our minds worship you in the name of Jesus.